Good morning, everyone. Friends, let's take a look at Isaiah. Isaiah um, is um, he's talking about a future liberation of people who are oppressed in the moment, in their time. And he's giving that message of hope, and that's what Isaiah does. But he's giving the word of God to them as has been given to him. My friends, in our gospel, uh, the prophecy that Isaiah is talking about in that first reading, we see as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth has come. He is that light. Um, and my friends, uh, uh, Zebulon and Naphtali, uh, we now know uh, uh, in Jesus' time would have been known as Galilee. And Galilee is a multicultural community. Lots of people, including lots of pagans. Uh, there are the believers, the Jewish people, and then the non-believers. So um, he is coming, and people have chosen not to walk in his light. They have chosen, no, we, we don't agree with you. And uh, so this is the reason why we hear Jesus at the end of this reading say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. So he's calling them. He didn't throw them away. He's calling them. And my friends, um, in our second reading, Paul, who has uh, established communities, he's calling on everyone uh, to be united and to put away their rivalries. And my friends, uh, looking at this, reflecting and praying, the history of our Roman Catholic Church has had its ups and downs and um, moments of incredible unity and Unfortunately, moments of scandalous divisions. From the time of Christ's ascension until the day of his second coming, it will continue. That's the way it is. Perhaps this is so because Mother Church has been and continues to be at war. Now, in those earlier days when the Pope was also a king and had armies, he fought actual wars and called them the Holy Wars. But of late, now, Mother Church, and I'm talking about you guys, we are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that includes uh, morals that are not so good and virtues that are not uh, something to be happy about. And so Mother Church is at war, but through all of them, from the beginning till now, sin has always remained the enemy and holiness has always remained the ally. And both are equally real. We see this truth exemplified in the very first generation of Christians while the apostles were still walking on the earth and they were at work going about what Jesus asked them to do, the missionary work. St. Paul, we gather from his letters, was also at work spreading the very good news of Jesus as we heard. And then as we heard in this reading, at the same time he was managing crises. Crises of faith, crises of morals, and affairs inside the church. Today's second reading tells us of one such crisis management he was after. St. Paul established that community and spent months instructing it, and he appointed leaders to that church. We understand those as bishops. And he asked them to continue the work. Paul receives news, as we heard, that the community is becoming divided. My friends, challenged, uh, challenges causes a crisis of faith and leads to divisions. And um, St. Paul reminds 
them all that Christians are called to be united in Christ and that they are to build up the community in unity, never giving in to, let alone participating in rivalries and jealousies and backbiting and gossip. He tells them to work hard toward being of the same mind and same purpose, move in the same direction. Today, challenges threaten church unity, and some are the same old, same old, but some are particular to our time. In the most recent years, as in past times, God always opens up channels of his grace and pours it upon his people, arming them and supporting them in a new period of history. It's always been this way. We can look and see. However, my friends, a lack of faith and a lack of cohesion with church leaders causes rivalries and divisions. That lack of cohesion with us to the apostle, the, in this case the archbishop, also can lead to divisions and rivalries. And so, my friends, I tell you, it is not particularly helpful and it is certainly not building up of the people of God uh, when we participate in these rivalries and this gossip. St. Paul urges people to put to rest unchristian rivalries and to silence destructive criticisms. There is constructive criticisms, but there is destructive ones. All you have to do is look on social media. It's filled with filth and meanness and ugliness. And my friends, St. Paul in his letters are asking all the people to give equal reverence to whatever the Mother Church recognizes as the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, we have our Lord's grace, and we do. We have in our church the sacraments that help us to walk in holiness. We have prayer. Prayer is first, and prayer is last, and it's in the middle. Prayer. All of these assist us, but if you are not willing to be agents of unity and charity and peace and forgiveness, it's not going to happen. My friends, in the scripture, Jesus, a rich young man who runs a town, comes to him. And he says, I have fulfilled the Ten Commandments. What else do I need to do? And Jesus, the scripture says, looks on him with love. He didn't hate him. He loved him. And he said, I have more for you. To which the young man said no. And he walks away. Jesus never forces you to do anything, but invites you. So unless we want to be, as St. Paul would say, ambassadors of unity and peace and forgiveness, it's going to remain difficult. This is the way it is. We can choose to be agents of unity, or we can choose to be people of division. So my friends, what are the practical things you and I can do? We pray as sacramental people. We receive the sacraments. But what else do we do then, if you will, to let God's grace reign upon us and through us and become those ambassadors, those agents on behalf of Jesus Christ, disciples of him? Two key things. Exercising self-discipline in what we say. 
Words can be used for good or for wickedness. We can use words like a knife that hurts and cuts, or we can use words like keys that open hearts and minds, encouraging others to come closer to Christ, to come to building up the community of Christians. My friends, again, I will point uh, to social media where we see so much mean, vulgar things. Gossip. People rather gossip than look at the truth. They'd rather see twisted things. My friends, remember a couple years ago, Father's always learning. Remember a couple years ago, I gave a homily and I told the kids, go out and twit everything. Uh, twit, and people, they were laughing at me. And I'm like, what is so funny? It's not twit, Father. It's tweets. <laughs> it's Twitter. And I said, okay, well then, they do that. <laughs> so Father learns. He's learning from, from the kids and everybody. I'm open to change and learning. And uh, then I thought about it. And I was like, well, they have a little teeny bird, a little pretty bird, uh, their symbol, but of late, maybe it should be a, the image of a vulture because of the way people use it, right? So we can harness these for good, or it could be used for very wicked things. And the second thing follows right in line. We can exercise self-control over ourselves. How many times has regrettable words and emails and letters and decisions been made in anger and in the midst and in the, of passion? My friends, perhaps with such strong emotions take us by storm. Even if they seem righteous in the moment, we should stop. First of all, pray. Breathe, not just in the air, breathe in the spirit. Reflect on what's happening and if necessary, delay. Stop. And then once you've prayed and reflected, then make the decision and move forward on that decision. But people are so hasty now. Just bang. Out goes that tweet. <laughs> Out goes that Facebook posting. Damage done. My friends, here is the truth about things. We cannot always control what happens to us or to our communities or even to our church. But we can control how we respond to it. That you do have control over. You do. But you have to exercise that control. Now, my friends, I told you last weekend uh, that I would be speaking to you about the new plan for this archdiocese, for the Church of Western Washington. So on Wednesday, uh, for the first time in church history here, was the largest gathering of clergy and lay leaders for the Roman Catholic Church. And the archbishop rolled out the new plan, and he asked all pastors and priests, parochial vicars, this weekend to talk to you about it, ahead of the media getting their hands on it. So at 5 p.m. this evening, an official announcement will be made and given to the media. So I want you to hear from your pastor before you go and read whatever they have deciphered through it and decided to tell you. And that's the proper way. You should hear it from within the family about this. So my friends, 
As the Archbishop gathered us together as Catholics, we are called, he said, to deepen our relationship with Christ and as missionary disciples, living, breathing disciples today, to invite others to come into that relationship with Christ. And we do this in many ways, but one of the ways we do this is by this local community known as a parish. And our parishes are the primary way that we Catholics stay connected to our faith and to each other. The model of parish life also allows for great flexibility in meeting the needs of Catholics at different times in history. And uh, the Archbishop went on to say today we face some new realities and that are impacting parish life and making it, if you will, difficult to go about being these disciples in the world and drawing people to Christ. And uh, he said, um, it can't be status quo anymore. There's got to be a change. And so, um, my brothers and sisters, I'm going to present them to you. At 5 p.m. this evening, you'll be able to go on to our website and the website of the Archdiocese and see a video from the Archbishop, and he may go into greater detail. But um, he's putting forth a new plan for Western Washington, uh, the Archdiocese of Seattle, and how we are church and how we will act and how the church is governed and everything. It's going to be different. And... Um, uh, he's calling it the partners um, in the gospel. And um, this has taken effect beginning Wednesday, this past Wednesday. And uh, the hope that he has, the prayer that he has, is this will reinvigorate all of us and our local Catholic churches, our local parishes. And uh, the mission of the Catholic Church is at the heart of what he's doing. And he wants to achieve this fruitfulness, this to get us back to our mission and being strong about it. But he said we have to adapt. And uh, so he's adapting to the needs of the faithful in our current reality. And as part of this planning, um, he said he'll continually examine and look at resources and how we best can use them to support each other and the local churches, the parishes. Um, some of the questions was why now? Um, because... Now is when it's happening. You know, he said these realities are present to us now and impacting us now and making it difficult for parishes and its people uh, to live out the mission of Christ. And um, my friends, over the past uh, few decades, the local church has experienced a decrease in engaged parishioners, as he put it, and fewer priests and dwindling finances and deteriorating campus conditions. And uh, my friends, here are some of the statistics he wants me to share with you. Today, the Archdiocese has 80 diocesan pastors, of which I am one, for 174 parishes. By 2036, it is estimated that there will only be 66 diocesan pastors, an almost 20% decrease. And while the overall population of the Archdiocese of Seattle is growing, registered households are declining, along with mass attendance, um, sacraments, such as baptism, first communion, marriages, are changing, meaning they're not happening as often. From 2010 to 2019, mass attendance as a percentage of total registered parishioners declined from 40% to 35%. 
Between 2010 and 2019, baptisms declined by 30% and weddings declined by 19%. I want to stop for one moment. And not all parishes. Ours, and this is not to boast, we don't boast, but our parish has seen an increase in families. Yes, we've had families leave who have moved. Maybe some families left because they don't like Father Mark. And I would say, go read a second reading from St. Paul. <laughs> Maybe, you know, whatever it, might, whatever it might be. But people have come. And it is growing. And we do have baptisms. And I'll tell you, we've had more weddings in the past three years, and I've been here eight, than any other time. This is a blessing. And it's nothing to boast about, really. But it's to say that, see the hope within things. Our parish is growing. And I think that's because the team that we have put together, we're moving in the right direction and in the same direction. But my friends, the reality is that 67% of parishes operate in a deficit. It broke my heart to hear that. That means they don't have the money they need to keep their doors open. People think that the electric company, Penitza, gives me a discount or I don't have to pay the electric bill. <laughs> huh? <laughs> no discount. <laughs> and while we don't operate in a deficit, 67% of the parish parishes in this archdiocese does. That can't be maintained. You guys have budgets in your own family. You know that can't be maintained for long. So my friends, what's changing? It's the idea of parish and parish life. And uh, I'm just going to move away from the script for a little bit. It's best that we follow this so that we're giving you the exact details. But right now, uh, St. Nicholas is a canonical parish. St. Charles is a canonical parish. Uh, St. Gabriel's in Port Orchard is a canonical parish. What's going to change is how those look. Coming will be where the parish, that idea of canonical parish will change. So, for instance, let's say St. Nicholas um, is a canonical parish. Um, the family of parishes, or they'll become one eventually by 2027. St. Nicholas remains a canonical parish, but parishes near us become, uh, for lack of a better way of making you understand, like chapels. And the community will come together here primarily. You see, that's how it's going to change. This is what is different from clustering. Clustering didn't do this. Because people are like, well, then this just clustering. No, no, no. It is completely different now. So my friends, um, the majority of parishes as we know it now are going to become a family. And these parishes will be the start of the partners of the gospel renewal effort to determine how to best carry out the mission of the local church. So my friends, as I said, Wednesday launched everything. During the following months in the spring will be a time of great prayer and discernment. This will also be a time, and I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. It will also be a time when you can write to the archbishop but don't write hateful things. That is not how we respond. 
You can write your opinions, you can write your concerns, and you can write your hopes to Him. So these months coming in the spring will be that time for the people of God to voice their hopes and concerns also. In fall of 2023, the Archbishop will gather everything and with his curia will put into place the beginnings of what we know as parish family now. In early 2024, final parish family structures will be announced. In July of 2024, the new parish family will go into effect where they will have one pastor and there should be uh, to help parochial vicars with him. And between 2024 and 2027, all these will journey together to eventually we will have um, everything set in place uh, with what we call the parish family, where it's one canonical parish with the uh, other members that were formerly parishes will be come together. Does this mean that parishes are closing, some of them? He said no, not necessarily. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but that's not the goal. The goal of this is not to close parishes, but to bring them together and make them stronger. First, and this was really important for, for him and for us when we were sitting there listening. He it was important for us to communicate when he says parish, he's not talking about a building. He's talking about you guys. The church is you. So he's not closing you. <laughs> or as better would, canceling you. <laughs> I don't even know that's the proper use of that. But um, So the parish is the community of the faithful. Uh, so, but his goal is not to close a, build, to close a church, a parish down. But uh, this change is going to mean that there will be a new way of looking at the parish. And he said that the parish will determine many things, such as what ministries to provide, what outreach to community is possible now, what mass times will be offered and where they will be offered at. And what properties and buildings will stay in use and which ones will not be in use. Okay? And as I said, this is not clustering. This is really different. So, my friends, what does this mean for priests? Today, priests across the archdiocese are spread thin and spending significant amount of time in administrative activities instead of caring for the people that they were ordained to do. I didn't become a priest because I wanted to manage buildings. And now, I know you guys know this, some of you, sometimes it'll take, if you want to see me, to talk to me about something, sometimes it takes up to two weeks to get in to see me. And that's now with me limiting people to 30 minutes. With, the implement, with this new plan, Partners in the Gospel, over time, priests will be able to focus more time on their efforts on taking care of you, their community, to help build the communities and the family 
And so here are some of those changes. With the new family structure, some priests will become pastors, while others will become parochial vicars to ensure the best possible pastoral care for you, the people. People wanted to know, well, how will this be done? Well, as with all priest placements, the priest personnel board, which is a makeup of priests and chancery leaders, they make recommendations to the archbishop. That's how I came here. A priest board said, let us send Father Mark to St. Nicholas, for better or for worse. <laughs> here I am. This will continue, and even in a more concerted and detailed way. And each priest will have an individual conversation about their desires and about how they would like to serve in the future, either as pastor, a parochial vicar, or in some other type of role. And I can tell you that this has happened. Bishop Eusebio called me about two months ago. And we had a private conversation, and it will remain private between me and him. But he will take that information to the archbishop. Overall, parishes should experience this is the hope and the fruit of this new plan for a more vibrant and engaged community of Catholics. Hopefully there will be more opportunities for personal faith growth and the opportunity for a closer relationship with the leaders of their parishes. Practically, it also means that parishioners will experience administrative changes. Absolutely. This will differ by each parish family, but some changes will include a new pastor. It will include new parochial vicars. It will mean that mass times will change. It will mean that the location of those masses will change. Change is hard sometimes. We also ask about schools. Schools are a vital ministry of a parish. A school is not a business. It is always and will remain always a ministry of the parish. It's a big one. But it is not a business. It is a ministry. And people benefit from this ministry. And we hope always that a stronger parish community will happen. In the near term, there will be no changes to the Catholic schools. No changes. Parishes will be placed in their new family, and in 2024 and then beyond, then the new parish family will have three years to determine how it would like to join together all of its resources and all of its ministries, including schools. This planning process will include discernment around ministries, which means it involves discernment around the Catholic school. And for the record, our school of St. Nicholas is not closing. It's not closing. We may have challenges, but I suspect we're going to have a good team together. And we will meet those, but it is not closing. Someone called, Father, I heard St. Nicholas is closing. I'm like, stop with the gossip. You'd rather believe that than anything else. It's not closing. Catholic schools are key to a formation and evangelization efforts in the church. Determining how to ensure the growth and vitality of Catholic schools in the future will remain the work of schools. 
the parish leaders locally. So I'm, look, I'm looking, how is that going to work out? Let's see how that works out, okay? People want to know, well, are there going to be schools closed? There is no predetermined outcome about this. The goal is to strengthen parish communities and Catholic schools. There are no plans or intentions for school closures as part of this process. But parish families, including the school families, the parish families, the leaders of the parish, will discern the best approach for their particular school. And perhaps there will all have to be some merging, but it's not predetermined yet. My friends, other dioceses have done this, and they've made it through, and they're thriving. So my friends, this is what we need to do. We need to continue being disciples and being filled with hope and light and being that light to others. We have work to do, and we can't be worried about all this other stuff. Until things will come. And of course, you know me, I go to the scriptures. And the first thing is Matthew 16. There, Jesus is talking to Peter, and Jesus tells him, nothing will prevail against my church. He's talking about us. He's not talking about a building. He said, either I believe it or I do not. Either you believe that or you do not. There is no middle ground. I believe it. And believe me, through the history of our church, there have been people trying to take down the church, not only from outside, but from within. And Jesus' promise has been true always. Nothing. So, good. Good. So I believe it. So you must also. My friends, in Matthew's gospel also, in Matthew, it's in, it's in um, chapter 6. Jesus says, why are you worried about tomorrow? <laughs> Today has enough problems. <laughs> and he said, you can't add a day to your life by worrying about it. So let us not worry. Let us be about today. Let us meet the challenges of today. Let us be our community. Let us grow stronger so that if other communities are coming, we'll be ready. Or if we are going to join another community, that we will be ready. Those, that chapter of 6 in Matthew's Gospel is all about dependence on the Lord. That's what he was telling him. Don't be, don't be overly concerned about all this. Work for today. Address the issues of today. And my friends, finally, in John's Gospel 668, Jesus has a very difficult conversation with the people. A conversation that they were like, we can't believe this. We, this seems impossible. Feel a bit familiar right now? There he was talking about his body and blood. He told people, you're going to have to eat my body and blood. He's referring to the Eucharist. And people began to walk away. We just can't accept this. We're walking away. And he looks at Peter and says, do you want to leave too? Do you want to go? And Peter says those words that echo through all time. Where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So my friends, I say the same thing to us. Where are we going to go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. 
So this is what I would like from you, to pray, and the Archbishop has given, they're in the pews, there's a prayer now specifically written for our time and for this change that's coming. I ask that you do this, you pray, because prayer is, prayer is a weapon for goodness, and it helps us. So we will pray. The other thing is we must stay united. Satan loves to come in when there's division and when people get confused about things. He comes in with his monkeys <laughs> and he messes with us. He's been doing this for a long time here. We, we make great strides in holiness and he likes to come and whack us. But you guys have been smart and you recognize it and we move through it. So we must stay united. We stay united as a family. We continue growing. We continue moving. And we deal with today. With the grace of the Holy Spirit and being united, we will rise to the challenge that faces the church today, and we will be victorious. Not because Father Mark says so, because Jesus has said so. So will you do this? Stand then and be united. We will stand and be united. We will follow behind our archbishop because the question that I asked was, did you pray about this? Is this what Jesus wants? And his answer was firm, yes. So if this is what Jesus wants, we must follow. We must follow. Amen? So my friends, under the grace of the Holy Spirit and together, we will rise and we will meet the challenge that we are presented with today with our church. We will travel through with Christ as the anchor and he will be our guide. Amen.